Hello listeners and welcome to the Monto Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we return to the European carbon market and discuss the key market moving developments. After languishing between 55 and 65 euros from around mid-August, the benchmark carbon contract shot up recently to above 70. How high can prices go or how low can they fall? What are the risks of political intervention? Isn't the commitment of many countries and companies to exit coal actually a bearish driver for carbon? Helping me, Richard Sverson, to explain current market dynamics and to look ahead of the coming months is our old friend, Ingvil Soros of Refinitiv. A warm welcome to you, Ingvil, and welcome back on the pod. Thanks, Richard, and it's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So it must be busy times for you as an analyst uh, in these markets. Yeah, yeah. It's the the price has just been kind of rallying for the last uh, few few weeks now. So it's uh, quite a lot of stuff to look into uh, nowadays. Absolutely. So I think if we can start by looking at some of the key events this week, for instance, Germany's coalition agreement. Was this the main reason for prices spiking above 73 euros? Yes, I would say so. I mean, uh, you saw that on Wednesday that prices were rising at the time of the press conference when the coalition government put out their kind of document that will lay the foundation of their policy for the next four years. And I think especially this mentioning of the 60 euro price floor, the German new German government wants to see was kind of a new feature and a bit unexpected that came out. And then uh, market reacted quite on that news, I would say. Mm. And of course, that news uh, will just kind of be amplified by technical trading. Germany has proposed a 60 euro carbon price floor, right? But is that on a European basis or on a national basis? So uh, the way I see it, I may be mistaken, but if it doesn't succeed on a European basis, then they're going to impose it nationally within Germany. Is that right? Yeah, I think kind of the uh, w- what we saw from the German government uh, document is that they kind of are in favor of a strong carbon price. And that strong carbon price is one of kind of key element to reach some of the kind of climate and, and energy goals that they have put forward. They say that they expect the carbon price to rise. But in the case that we'll kind of see a downturn, kind of a um, structural change in the carbon price formation in the years going forward, that they would like to see kind of a backstop to a potential downward move, put 60 as a price floor. Um, they say they don't expect that to happen, but kind of that that will be the case. Of course, the favorite option is, of course, to, to implement this on the EU level. And I mean, we're kind of in the Fit for 55 discussion. There will be kind of the EU ETS directive is kind of reopened. And of course, that could be kind of a new feature to the ETS directive. And we know from before that, for instance, France is a kind of a key advocate for price floors. But of course, getting kind of all the countries in the EU to agree on a price floor might be a tricky one. And then, of course, they said, okay, if we can't do it on the national or on an EU level, then we will implement it on a national level. So kind of to give some clarity for industries and utilities within a Germany that, okay, you can't really expect a low carbon price or kind of a drop in carbon price going forward. The commission has always been very clear, though, hasn't it? It doesn't like to uh, set caps or floors or to deal with prices. It's, you know, it's more on the supply side measures. But, you know, so is this measure likely to succeed on the EU level? I think it uh, will be a tricky one. I think there will be quite, quite a lot of countries that will oppose price floor. 
at least at 60. The idea of ETS is that the market should decide on the price. So, and that's probably why we haven't seen kind of a proposal by that this previously from any of the commissions putting forward kind of proposals. It needs to be a lot of work done, at least, to persuade other countries like Poland, Spain, to accept the price floor into a new directive. But of course, that it's out of the question is, I mean, nothing is out of the question. But then you would, or you could probably get some then, okay, then if you want a price floor, then we want a price ceiling. Of course, there will be a lot of kind of elements in a discussion that kind of will be part of a potential kind of price floor discussion. There are also other elements here that were, were interesting, Ingrila, particularly coal exit by 2030 and a gas exit by 2040. If we can start with the, the coal exit, does this mean potentially less demand for EUAs? Is, is it kind of a bearish factor, whereas the, the 60 euro backstop is more, more bullish? But coal exit, what, what are your feelings here? Yeah, you, I mean, you would say that speeder exit from coal in Germany would kind of lower power sector emissions in, in Germany and then, of course, power sector in the UTS. So in that sense, you will get kind of less emissions from the power sector. But we have, we have the market stability reserve that will kind of be, I mean, soaking up some surplus allowances, but also that there is a provision in the EUTS directive. Um, that was kind of uh, that came in in the previous review when we had kind of the phase four review concluded in in 2018, and then you said countries can choose to voluntarily cancel EUAs from their auction volume to kind of dam up for the bearish effect of national coal phase out policies. And Germany has said previously that they are intending to use this provision with voluntary cancellation. So they will see kind of how much is MSR soaking up of this uh, exit surplus coming out of the coal phase out, uh, and then kind of do a voluntary cancellation on top of that to kind of cancel out the uh, coal phase out effect. So I think kind of the uh, like price wise, that's going to be perhaps kind of a limited um, effect because we have the MSR in place. We have this voluntary cancellation in place. It's quite interesting to see a, a treasury or a, a financial a finance ministry cancelling voluntarily EUAs. It's like almost like burning money, I suppose. I mean, it's probably kind of would have been a more tricky discussion now to, to say that we should use a voluntary cancellation now when prices are above 70 than pr- when prices were at below 20. I mean, it's a bit vague how much kind of cancellation that Germany will do, because that's kind of up to Germany, really. Uh, they've said kind of they will assess by uh, use some external expert to assess kind of how much volume should be then uh, cancelled. But I haven't really said that, yes, we are cancelling this amount or corresponding to this amount of, of historic emissions. I mean, we don't know to which kind of a degree the voluntary cancellation will take place. I mean, we'll have to look out for those details in, in, in future coalition um, contracts or, or agreements there. How about the measures to tackle gas use? Is this also potentially bearish or do you think you can also see voluntary cancellations here to cancel out the bearish impact? First and foremost, they've said kind of that they will use this this for coal. Of course, they haven't previously been talking about kind of a gas exit as such. But I think we kind of expect to see kind of an increase in gas usage towards kind of 2030 to kind of dam up for uh, some of the, I mean, as a transit fuel before kind of you have enough uh, renewables. So I think kind of the voluntary kind of cancellation from gas is not kind of necessarily kind of in at least in the 2030 time horizon that we, we expect too much gas to be kind of 
uh, phased out. So I think that will be kind of a separate discussion than, for instance, for the forced uh, coal phase out plants. We see now at the moment, English, some, some record carbon prices, and, and but coal generation or coal-fired uh, generation is, is booming at the moment, uh, maybe only a temporary blip, but doesn't the fate of coal depend on whether renewables are built? Yeah, and I think I know the German government also, or kind of the new German government are kind of seeing that they would need kind of a quite, quite uh, more ambitious uh, build out of renewable compared to what's planned now. Before we had this uh, German coalition paper out on, on Wednesday this week, kind of the target for 2030 was 65% of uh, renewable electricity, uh, electricity in 2030. And now they say they will kind of go for 80%. Uh, of electricity should come from renewable sources. And that's kind of up from 40% today. And that's kind of even more than double the demand because uh, you will also kind of have an increased power demand. So it's quite, quite ambitious, the renewable, the kind of inclusion of, of renewable. And of course, you need to make this happen uh, in order to kind of be able to do kind of the speedier coal phase out as well. Do you have any confidence that these renewables will be built? Often in Germany, you see a lot of the permitting issues, the the local planning delays. Do you think these will ease up to allow the expansion of, of, of green energy? I think that's kind of what we see some contours of in the document as well. And of course, you need to speed up on all kind of different levels like approvals in order to make this this happen. So it's not only kind of a just nice wish, but it will uh, that that it can actually happen. Uh, and it seems to be kind of I mean, they're saying that they use, for instance, that they uh, want to kind of increase solar power from current uh, 56 gigawatts installed now to 200 gigawatts by 2030. So of course, kind of they're putting out all these plans now, and then it's up to the German government to follow through to make these plans happen. Very, very ambitious target. So we, we shall see how, how, how much they, they can build in the next, you know, nine, 10 years. But moving on from Germany, Ingvild, you know, I was wanting to ask you about your expectations for the rest of the year, basically. And five or six weeks left, how high can prices go? I mean, 80 euros doesn't seem that um, unrealistic now. Could we go beyond that to 100? What, what are your your forecasts here? I would believe more in 80 than 100, I would say. I mean, we have some supportive factors coming up to kind of year end. I mean, we're heading into winter. <laughs> it's a squeezed energy complex. And I think kind of, for instance, the weather forecast coming in going forward will be important for kind of what's going on with fuels market. And of course, kind of we expect high coal burn uh, at least until kind of winter has has ended. So that's kind of a fundamental supportive factor why carbon prices shouldn't fall too much, uh, at least. And then we have kind of the auction pause. I mean, you have daily auctions in the uh, European carbon market. And then the last auction this year will be on the 20th of December. So from the 21st of December and until kind of 10th of January, there will be no uh, supply coming out on auctions. And that's kind of that's kind of a planned a pause and that's happening every year. That's to cater kind of for lower demand during the holiday season. But of course, uh, often kind of in December, we see that or kind of leading up to December, this is a supportive factor because kind of the prospect of lower supply coming to the market is kind of uh, supporting the market. So that's kind of a supporting uh, supportive element. And we kind of have this year end coming into year end, uh, you will have kind of industries and, and utilities that 
now kind of are more kind of uh, have a better overview over their actual uh, emissions for 2020 and will kind of do do some kind of um, adjustments to their positions based on their actual emissions going into kind of or preparing for compliance for for 2021 emissions in or reporting in April and compliance in or end of April. So do you expect to be more buying then in the market this at this stage and those in those weeks? At least kind of this uh, this this perception that it's not necessarily that it's always kind of the true, but this kind of a perception in the market that. You believe it's happening, especially kind of with this auction pause. I mean, that should be a known thing. And that's kind of half the auction volumes in July as well. Everyone knows it happen, happens, but then every every time it's kind of this psychological effect that, okay, we will be without supply for a while. But I think kind of that's kind of supportive factors for the carbon price heading into kind of year end. You know, somewhere between 80 and 100 then, uh, Ingrid, if I can pin you down. I, I think I would say kind of maybe between 70 and 80. Okay. I mean, it has been quite steep kind of the previous price movement and i think kind of we could also see some correction as well so i would say kind of maybe kind of between 70 and 80 but you never know about this market <laughs> no exactly that's one thing we've learned here it's always constantly taking us by surprise but but if we go into next year ingrid so 2022 you know we you see a tightening market the the energy fundamentals you know the gas uh, coal Switch from from gas to coal will probably continue as long as Nord Stream two flows aren't coming into the market. You know we could see a bit of a, a bit of colder weather, and on top of that, uh, you have the the negotiations at the EU level, the fifty five package. So how do you how do you see the main drivers for for Q one Q two next year? Yeah, I think also Q one will be much of the same. I mean, you have kind of compliance season and then kind of end of or starting of, of Q two, and of course we often see kind of this compliance season as a supportive factor. There are kind of, uh, there could be indus- uh, industrials or utilities that are uh, not mandated to buy in the forward market. So they need to buy kind of in the primary market just ahead of compliance, which we have seen kind of news news reports on in earlier earlier years uh, that kind of big players kind of or big utilities or big industrials kind of need to buy in very last minute. So I think kind of that's that's one kind of important factor for next year. And as you say, kind of, I mean, the winter, I think we'll still see a stress kind of energy complex throughout the winter. So that will, of course, be kind of important. Um, also kind of the uh, weather forecast, will we have a cold winter with the low wind generation or will it be a mild, mild winter uh, with high High wind power generation. I think that will also kind of, of course, be uh, have some impacts on on the carbon market. But then, kind of, I mean, you said kind of we have the policy process as well. We will have kind of a more intensified discussions on on the Fit for Fifty Five package. And of course, there has been voices that I mean, they're stressed about kind of this whole energy situation in the energy market and how carbon is also contributing to that. Of course, kind of this um, bringing up like speculators' role in this market. Have they got kind of contributed to this increase in prices that we have seen previously? I mean, uh, last week we saw the EU securities market, uh, market regulator ESMA that came out and said that they had no evidence of anti-competitive trading behavior in a preliminary assessment. I, I guess kind of the the overall uh, the overall kind of uh, agreement is that kind of much of this uptick we have seen is is uh, especially kind of this autumn has been much due to kind of the crazy moves in the gas market. But of course, I think kind of I mean even though kind of the 
speculators part has been kind of uh, been uh, said not guilty as of now. I think, for instance, there will be still countries that want to discuss the role of those that have no no compliance obligations in also kind of the policy discussions going forward. I mean, it's a shrinking market. And I think there are some still some worries from countries that that there are participants in the market that could come as a at the expense of uh, utilities and industry players in Europe. So, for instance, that is one element that might not be kind of uh, part of a final framework, but that, for instance, that is one of the topics that could come up and, I mean, could kind of limit the the appetite for the upside. And I think kind of uh, it will be interesting to see kind of the bigger groups like political groups in the European Parliament, kind of what they comes up with, kind of uh, their amendment proposal from the Commission, uh, what member states, uh, how the grouping is for a different a different proposal. If we will see that there are kind of big resistance for elements of the the proposal that was put forward by the Commission. So I think kind of perhaps. Depends a bit on how the discussions are kind of proceeding, but I think uh, potentially some some policy risk could also kind of factor into into the market as well. I'd just like to return to that report by the the European Securities and Markets Authority, or or ESMA as it, as it's also known. You know, how much stock can we take, or how much can we read into their conclusions? A, because it was preliminary, and B, they didn't have really a- access to that much data. There was no access. There's no data from the UK, for instance. I think kind of the increase in prices has not happened in a vacuum for carbon markets. I mean, for one, you have had support from the, the Fit for 55 package and also kind of uh, that has been moving, not necessarily now kind of lately, but in the autumn it has been kind of moving very in line with for instance, the gas market. Of course, there is a risk when they're looking more into the details that they could come to a, a different conclusion. But I mean, at least it seems to be a bit of a relief now that ESMA now came with a preliminary report saying that, okay, we don't see any evidence as of now for this, for speculators to have kind of a, a big role in this, uh, this increase in prices. You know, I think um, that was very, maybe a bit of relief to some who are fearing a political intervention on, you know, some member states, um, you know, Spain or, or some Eastern European countries already threatened more of a, of a probe into what's going on and maybe a, a move to intervene. But do you think if prices go much above 70, that these kind of noises will reemerge, that some of these countries will, you know, say they will look at what's happening in the market and maybe, you know, threaten a, a, some kind of intervention? I mean, because it's not so much that the politicians can do. I mean, you can't do too much about the gas gas market and too much about the coal market. But of course, the carbon market is policy made. So it's really kind of at least someone, some see this as, as in kind of the only place where you can actually make an impact uh, that could have an impact on, on power prices. But of course, I think also that not necessarily kind of too worried about kind of uh, short-term interventions in the market. But I think that these high prices and kind of this energy crunch could also kind of flavor flavor kind of the discussions around the Fit for 55 debate. I mean, there are elements that can be altered, uh, which kind of won't change the overall target, but could have kind of big, large impact on our price expectations and the market balance. Uh, so, for instance, kind of the design of the market stability reserve. And I think kind of that 
high prices, high carbon prices will kind of set the scene of where, where kind of the policy discussions will take place or could take place that you could, maybe would have kind of a some other proposals and some other kind of worries that you didn't have when prices were kind of in at low low levels where we have seen kind of previous policy discussions taking place. So I think kind of this this could call color kind of the long-term debate uh, more than kind of short-term interventions in the market. I think um, one thing is is for sure here, Ingvillard, I think we mentioned this on the pod before, but, you know, buckle up because there's quite a, a big roller coaster ride ahead for the for the coming months and, and years. So, Ingvill, thank you very much for being a guest on the Montel pod this week. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or, you know, let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.